What up, brother? It's your boy, the Porter Compiler. the Mike Fry, the podcast mercenary himself, Christian Joe Ramos, back at it again with a brand new review. And today we're going to review the, well, latest season of The Mandalorian. I know I'm behind everyone by a mile, but let's be honest, between reviewing wrestling and other movies, and it's been a summer of good movies. I mean, after last year's lackluster movie, blockbuster movie season, this year came with some serious heat. So I, it, it's kind of hard to do shows and TV simultaneously. So, Please be patient with me as I review at my own pace. And, of course, if you don't mind reviews that are so behind. But, by God, it's been hard to even... Again, it's been impossible to do reviews. And um, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying. Uh, between work and trying to have a social life and other stuff, it, it, it's tough. So, that being said, enough bullshitting. Let's just get right to it. And we shall. All right, so season three, thank God for Wikipedia, has a nice little layout here. We have chapter 17, but this is the first episode, entitled The Apostate, directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Sorry, I'm trying to do my best to make pronunciations. And it's written by John Favreau. This premiered in March 1st, 2023. I know we're all the way in August. I'm doing Mandalorian. Sue me. But I'm going to definitely try to stay on track with this. Because I owe it to everyone who watches my podcast to stay. And, and mind you, with the current writer strike going on and actor strike, there's going to be a delay of reviews anyway. So it allows me to catch up with shows that I really like to talk about. And Mando definitely being one of them. Because let's be honest, Pedro Pascal does no wrong. So <laughs> that being said, let me open up my notes. Because I don't want to just verbatim just spew what Wikipedia says. Alright, so episode one's titled the Apostate. Uh, the armor is welding a helmet for a new initiative. It's like a recent graduation of a child converting to Mandalorian lifestyle. All of a sudden, this huge-ass gator thing comes out of the water. Because they're by the shore of the water. It's peaceful looking. But this feels like straight out of the Meg or Jaws. It's crazy because I'm terrified of the deep water, deep ocean in general. But I'm not afraid of kaiju. I'm not afraid of most creatures of the in the water. But I am terrified of sharks. For some reason, they're just the most ugliest be. I'll use beasts straight on this earth. Not a huge fan of them. And then again, we'll, we'll deep dive into how my parents showed me these movies way too bloody young. Uh, so <laughs> that being said, the creator was, it caught me off guard because late at night as I'm watching this, trying to like really watch the show. And I'm like, damn, that's huge. And then the huge fight breaks out where all the Mandalorians are trying to like fend off and obviously save the child, but also try to take this thing out. Because this is like a gargantuan beast. So the entire Mandalorian I guess you can say clan can't contain it with all their weaponry and they're almost like slipping like, my God, you guys have not been the same level of, I mean, again, fighting off other humanoid creatures is different than fighting off giant behemoths. So I, I can see where the comparisons are not the same because they're bounty hunters. They're not like Jedi who are specifically hunt everything and anything moves. Uh, you know, it's like the old tale, like, you know, you can, fight other men but can you slay a dragon right it's one of those things so thankfully Jinjarin shows up and saves the day in the nick of time on his newly minted upgraded ship and shoots the thing down and manages to kill it so the armor thanks him but obviously he's not wanted because he has been excommunicated from that group uh but he's trying to seek uh, his way back in because he's over it but to get redemption he has to bathe in the mines that perish below because there is a i guess a wall of water where the um be I guess the old ways you just to like kind of literally wash your sins off and start over 
So then these mines are in Mandalore, which is obviously a toxic wasteland, an unlivable, uninhabitable planet at this time being. So they left ages ago. It's probably not the same place they left. So he has to go and do this journey and quest. And he goes. So he wants a redemption. He goes to the mines. The mines perish. He's like, oh, I'll find those mines. And I'm going to find those waters. I'm going to bathe in them. So there's got to be a grotto somewhere down below. And so the mines of Mandalore still exist. And he goes off and travels. Sorry if you hear, if you hear uh, sirens. I do live in a city, so sometimes you will see shit popping off. <laughs> so Jin must now seek to find a planet in which he can bathe in the mines of his homeworld since there's evidence of it still existing. And he locates Mandalore and he heads out. He lands in Navarro and to meet up with an old friend in the Outer Rim, in the port of Navarro. And Jin is greeted and walks around the very normal but he's he just he's just very much over something here by his old pal grief Karga. so he stops in the memorial statue of his friend uh and sees that it's like this place has changed it used to be like for ruffians and 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 i guess you could say scoundrels and whatnot and now it's been cleaned up and looks like a nice proper town so he stops the memorial statue of his friend at the city or the world i should say because uh, that's the city. The world uh, is bestowed on them because he is like the new heroes of them. And he now goes by High Magistrate, Grief Karga. Excuse me, Carl Weathers. I didn't know you were a magistrate. You're definitely getting uh, moving up in the world. Because, again, Jin left this world looking at like a bounty hunter's wet dream. And he comes back and sees it all developed and becoming more, I don't want to say gentrified, but more, I guess you could say, with law like it just seems like a proper place to be at now so he's there and greeted by Karga and he welcomes Mando open arms so the town is growing they're legit now with the trade world now so they don't have to do illegal trades they're actually doing the trades for the proper channels so which means they're getting proper probably funding and all this other stuff and that's why infrastructure is growing and they are becoming more peaceful Sadly, the pirates who are near old pirates have old habits and they come back thinking it's the same place they left when they last came and ventured in. So the pirates have arrived in the courtyard, they're starting to fight. Their leader, Vane, is a friend of grief, and, and it's a matter where he assumes that, listen, we're going to go into the bar and celebrate and drink. They're like, sir, that's no longer a bar. That is now a school for children. He's like, well, I don't care. When I was here last, it was a bar. And as we start to fight, he's like, you can't just take a no for an answer. So that being said, um, so that being said, how do I say this? Uh, shit's about to pop off. <laughs> so it's a showdown, baby. Vane loses but lives as his entire battalion is taken out by Mando. Uh, actually, no, it's taken out by uh, by Kreef and Mando combined. As for the rest of the crew, not so much. Uh, so Vane leaves. Uh, He'd worried that this world is not protected and to never come back. So G11 was destroyed in the lava beyond repair. G11, you remember, was this robot that uh, was a bounty hunter. It was out to uh, get Grogu at the time. And he it was in season one. He had a great epic showdown, but he was sadly taken out. Uh, Mando is going to use his old parts to Frankenstein G11. And G11 activates as he's still alive once they get some power in him. He was just out of battery, pretty much, out of juice. But he defaulted to his old programming, so Mando has to blast him just to get him to not kill Grogu, who's there with him, because obviously he takes Grogu with him everywhere. So, Baba Freak, well, not really Baba Freak, his alien race, 
and Zelens tell Jin of his memory of his friend, who they pretty much try to fix to buy, uh, to they tell him to buy a new Jordan set. So G G11 gets taken into the robot repairs and it's like, again, just get a new droid. But the pirates of King Gorian Shard want Mando's blood after what just occurred earlier, right? So they get into a dogfight and they find him there. And he, he's trapped for now, but he escapes King Gorian Shard's uh, fleet or whatever remains of his fleet and goes into hyperspeed. He lands in the Mandalorian planet of Mandalore, and based in, uh, in, well, he lands in a Mandalorian planet, not Mandalore, and lands in a bay of a castle. I wonder whose castle is this? None other than Bo-Katan. So, Mando wants Bo-Katan to join him to go find the mines, because she obviously knows her old, her old home, but she's so depressed because Jin is the official new leader of the Mandalorians, because he, well, the he defeated and took the dark saber and that's the only way you could be the true leader so it went from bogotan being the i guess voted family and this ancient weapon is now in position of another mandalorian so it's the it's this the way and it sucks because she's the presence on this throne like i'm a queen but i'm a fraud of a queen because i don't have my sword and she's going for the motions so Without the Darksaber, she has no authority anymore. So she's like, Jin, what do you want me for? I have, to, I can't help you. Her entire army are all mercenaries now. They they disbanded her. She doesn't... He went in there thinking that she still has her crew. No, they all went on their own. Like, they're all doing their own thing because since she's no longer has claim to the throne, she is no longer the queen. She's no longer... But you would think she would still be a squad leader unless they only follow her because of the royalty aspect of it. Like, oh, you're not actually our leader now, so we can do our own thing. So it is what it is. I know who your real friends are. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's why she's bummed. And on her throne, she has a place, a castle, a palace, whatever you want to call it, but it's just not the same. It's not when you have, what's a queen without a, without a, a royal court, right? What's a, no knights, no no people, no, no, no civilians. Not, it's just you and a, and a few droids. So, they're all left. Sundry on Mandalore is the location of the mines. She tells him. She's like, well, I'll just tell you where it is. You go by yourself. And he just heads off. So, that was episode one. It was intriguingly short. It almost felt like episode one and two really should have been conjoined. But let's continue, and then I'll review both of them. Uh, so, episode two is out of the mines of Mandalore. And... It's a celebration with fireworks and Tatooine. Uh, again, every time Jin goes through the world he's been to before, things are happening in a good way. So at first, and then things pop off later on. It's like the trend of this guy. So celebration with fireworks and Tatooine because it's a um, a holiday. Uh, it's Boon to Eve, R five D four, and the lady mechanic. I forget her name. It slips my mind. And the Jawas get to work, and on on his ship, which is beat up from the dogfight previously. I found her. her name was Pelimoto. Pelimoto is like this, uh, she's, she's, she's a shyster. She definitely likes to, speak, to bargain or haggle, I should say, for things that she needs. And the Jawas are pretty much great chumps that she kind of, they're marks, so it's easy to just like get parts for them. And she pays them well, but they do their dirty work for her. So it's almost like she has the droids and the Jawas doing all the work. So she has a lot of, uh, Independent contractors versus employees. I'll leave it at that. So Mando arrives at the garage and at the bay. It, I mean, it's a garage, but it's on a car. It's a ship, so he just docks in. You know how it works. 
she pawns off R5 Amando because he needs a droid. Since the G11 droid is pretty much done for, he needs one that can go and pretty much safely go through these mines and almost be a pawn in case, God forbid, a booby trap hits, you know, the droid gets destroyed pieces to them, right? So he needs a droid for spelunking. It's a spelunking mission in Manivore. And she's like, oh, really? Well, this droid can do it. Mind you, the droid is nervous as hell. These robots are almost like sentient creatures, which is hysterical how they go about it. Um, so, Corcoria Moon of Mandalore is where Mando's original home was, where he was found when they had the raids and they saved him. So, he lived off the moon of Mandalore, not the main planet itself. And then later on, moved to Mandalore as a kid to become a Mandalorian. So, Mando can't reach anyone because of a messed up magnetic field. So, he literally is going into no man's land. And he knows this. Um, the droid goes in reluctantly in the cave to check for the atmosphere to see if the air is breathable, the world's become toxic these past decades. And but he goes in and he looks at the sonar on his on his, on his I guess in his ship and, and docking bay. Of course Grogu's nervous because Grogu knows something bad's about to happen. And the robot's uh, radar just blanks out, of course. So Mando goes after and gets jumped by these alien cavemen. And he fights him off, luckily. And the Mandalore's atmosphere, after he kills them all, he finds out that it's still breathable, and it's not a curse, as stories say. So people are making these stories that Mandalore is now a doomed world, and it's no longer inhabitable. No, it's it's habitable. Just a lot of storm clouds on your way in. But outside of that, it's still the same as it was. It's still breathable, and just a lot of fertile land that has not been touched for decades. So Mandalore's atmosphere is good to go. He takes his helmet off. He gets... I'm sorry, he just takes helmet off. Keeps it on. He just takes off the uh, the space lock, right? So he <laughs> uses oxygen and soup and just breathe the air around them. Uh, so he gets Grogu when they go in. Bogotan told him to go to the Civic Center down below, and down below Mando's trapped by an insect like robot, or what we assume is a robot because it's actually a mech. There's actually an alien inside it piloting the robot. Another insect. So, yes, there's an insect alien piloting an insect doid robot. Calc. How much of a hat on the hat is that? And the traps Mando. Mandalorian's trapped. He's like, he went in on his own how he should, and he should at least have backup. You never go in a cave without a, the buddy system. The old saying goes, of course, Grogu is his buddy, but Grogu is still kind of a childish man. Even though he's like 50 years old, he's still a child in his alien race. So he still is not underdeveloped to protect himself yet. Even though he has Jedi powers and he's been trained by the, by the Mandalorians as well, He's got dual training under him. It's just a matter of, like, he's still not to the level of Bo-Katan could be to help him out. So, down below, Mando's trapped. What does he do? He's placed gently down in, in this, uh, and inside his being, I told you about, the, this pattern of the robot shows itself. He takes away Mando's weapons, but luckily Grogu is watching from afar. Grogu, um, so uh, Grogu is spotted, but narrowly manages to escape with the help to find Bo-Katan. So he manages to get out, even with like this guy chasing him and also like some sewer animals or aliens chasing him out. He gets in the ship in time so he can fly back to Bo-Katan for help. So Bo-Katan thought it was Jin asking again for help, being a pest. And she was going to send him off this time herself personally. He left on his own accord first time. Now she's kicking him out. But when she sees that it's just Grogu inside, uh, she jumps in to help. She knows something's wrong. So Grogu guides Bo down the cave to the old mine shaft where he was trapped and taken in. Bo-Katan is reminiscing of Mandalore and old and sees her kingdom, how it used to look, and taking it in, like, you know, just nostalgia. And 
But Bo is noticing traps, and then she attacks the Alamites. That's what these cave aliens are called. Uh, first, single-handedly takes them out by herself because Bogotan's a badass still. Uh, so Bo doesn't matter how sad she is, she can still fight. <laughs> so Bogotan jumps into action, uses Mandel's dark saber to fight off the aliens in the mech armor and defeat it. Of course, you know the alien had his dark saber, so she just took it off him and defeated him. So she feeds Mandel Pog soup, and then they have a chat about Jin's mission and still going below the waters to continue and bathe them and cleanse himself so he can be back with his own people. So Bogotan volunteered to take him in, take him so he doesn't isn't lost again or on locating the waters. So he'll be there for days or ages trying to look, go through this labyrinth of a cave system. So Jin slowly walks through the waters and he seems to be dragged below by something. So Bo chases underwater and sees a mythosaur sleeping below, still alive. The beast alien that was the original symbol for their crest is still this thing is the mythological creature it's like they found the Loxus monster they found you know nessie they found a, a unicorn something that was in legend's dead and it, she seems for a glimpse of a moment and it, and it moves and it moves out of her sight and she saves mando and that's how the episode ends like this is crazy and these two episodes are fun to watch very simplistic plot very straightforward it should have been a special one episode long special episode right because it just felt like it was really tied together i mean things happened for sure but there were like quick motions it wasn't like a overlying story it was like a lot of sequence of events that were leading to a thing and then you get to the thing and it's a big thing you fit a big discovery so it's just like whoa this beast that was a like, defeated by the original mandalore who literally named the planet after it who rode a mythosaur like a horse right there's just this beast of these things are supposed to be dead ages ago, if they're even real, because they're only uh, old stories. Like, they're creatures of myth. And then she found one alive, and she's just like, what the hell did I just witness? So this leaves it open for some uh, exploration in the show. And again, we're two episodes in. There's six more. I'm going to continue reviewing this thing, so I cannot wait to see where it goes from here. But thank you all for tuning in. Both these episodes are great. I'm going to give them both equally a four out of five stars. Nothing over the top. They're Solid, slow start, but I want to see where it goes from here because it's literally giving me, like, uh, cliffhangers for the next one. But also, like, a discovery is also something good. You can discover something new that adds to the, not a legend, but, like, kind of solidifies the truth of it. Um, it definitely is shocking for the viewers and the characters in the story. So, as always, thank you all for tuning in. This has been the Podcast Mercenary Show. I'm the Podcast Mercenary himself, the Puerto Rican Kaiju, the Puerto Rican Powerhouse. The podcast mercenary Christian Del Ramos. Thank y'all tuning in. As always, may the force be with you. This is the way. See you next time.